Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God wants us to be experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. God wants us to be familiar with prophecy. God wants to do healing works among us. God wants us to experience the gift of tongues. God wants us to expect Him to direct us and guide us and show us things that we don't know. That's how He wants us living. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, in a message titled, God the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Brian. He will not come and say, okay, you know about God the Father, you know Jesus is the Son, Jesus is leaving now, I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm here. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't testify of himself, Jesus said, but he testifies of me. And so that is the position that the Holy Spirit has put himself in. Well, in a sense, he's in the background. Now, I'm gonna come back to that, so remember that. But let's go on to the second point, the Holy Spirit and the Christian. See, whether we know it or not, we have a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit. You are not a Christian unless you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one through whom we become Christians. So we are born of the Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit. We are sanctified by the Spirit. We are sealed by the Spirit. And there are many other things that we could talk about that are there in the relationship between the spirit and the believer. But like I said, we will cover that as, as we go forward. But just for a moment, think about this. So we're born of the spirit. We are drawn to God by the spirit. We are convicted of sin by the spirit. And then we are regenerated by the spirit. So regenerated means to be made alive, to be born. So Jesus when he was speaking to Nicodemus about the need to be born again, he referred to that as being born of the Spirit. So we are born again by the Spirit. We are saved through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul in Titus 3. So we are born of the Spirit. Secondly, we are indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you as a Christian. And Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So a true Christian is a person who is indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. That's what happens. He comes, he makes you alive spiritually, and he takes up residence in you. Jesus said it like this. He's speaking to his disciples. In John chapter 14, he said, he said, the spirit is with you presently as he's speaking to them. And then he says this, and he will be in you in the future. And of course, that would happen after Jesus died and rose again. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians back in the sixth chapter of this letter, 
he asked them this question. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? The Holy Spirit lives in us. And then we're sanctified by the Spirit. So sanctified is that work of God in setting us apart from sin, setting us apart to him, uh, for himself. And again, earlier in this letter, speaking to these people, Paul said, you were sanctified by the Spirit of God. You were set apart. It's in the passage where he's saying, you used to be this, but now you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. So the Spirit of God is the one who sanctifies us. And then finally, we're sealed by the Spirit. And again, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that you were sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. And what it means to be sealed is it means that you have been secured as the property of God. So in the ancient world, let's just say something belonged to the Roman government. Well, the Roman government would, would stamp that with their seal, and that showed who owned it, and that simultaneously secured it. Because unless you're a representative of the Roman government, you can't touch this. And so when Paul says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, he's basically saying that we are God's property and it is the guarantee that as we're his presently, we will be his eternally. So the Spirit of God seals us, sanctifies us, indwells us, and regenerates us. Now, the Spirit of God does more, but like I said, we will leave that for a future study. But let's look really quickly, finally, at the Holy Spirit and the church. And I'm going to use these two passages to refer more to the church, but they could, I mean, in a sense, they refer to us individually as well. So we could say that these next two points could go back in the category that we just looked at, the Holy Spirit in relation to the believer, but we'll broaden it and look at it in regard to believers collectively, the church. So the Holy Spirit in the church, what does the Holy Spirit do for the church? The Holy Spirit empowers the church. You see, God never intended for the church to run on human energy or human ingenuity. God intends the church run on the power of the Spirit. Now, God uses human energy. He uses human ingenuity, but not dependent of the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon that because if the Spirit doesn't come upon that, then we've got really nothing to offer. So Jesus said this to the disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you're gonna go out into the world. You're gonna preach the gospel and he says, wait till you receive power from heaven. And then he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit empowers the church. The Holy Spirit empowers you and me as God's people and us together collectively. The Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish the will of God, to expand the kingdom of God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit calls and sends his workers. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who calls us, not just to Christ, that's where it starts, but the Holy Spirit calls us into God's will. He calls us into service. And a beautiful picture of that is found in Acts 13. We read this, the Holy Spirit said, so the context is in the church in the city of Antioch in Syria, there were a group of prophets and teachers. They were all gathered together. They were seeking the Lord. And this Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So this is how Saul, who is also called Paul, this is how he is launched into his apostolic ministry. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul. God separates them to himself. And then it says, and they being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So God calls and he sends his workers. So the picture is the Holy Spirit is very active in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is very active in the life of the church. Now, there are many other things that we'll look at concerning the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the church, as I said, as we go into the future. But let me bring this to a conclusion with a question. Maybe it's more than one question, but we'll start with this one. And just, you know, I'm asking you this question. Be honest. There's nothing to be ashamed about, embarrassed about. My answer to this question is yes. But here's the question. Have you ever envied the apostles and early believers because their relationship and experience with the Lord seemed so much more real and vibrant than yours? Have you ever felt that way? I have. I've certainly felt that way. Or have you ever been reading the Gospels and wished you could have lived back then and walked and talked with Jesus? Because if you could just have done that, things would be so much different. You ever felt that way? Well, listen, when we feel that way, it means that we haven't fully understood or experienced the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, because this is what the Holy Spirit does. When Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going to leave them and they were grief-stricken over this, they were confused, they couldn't, what do you mean you're going to leave? They, they just didn't understand that. Jesus said this to them. He said, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come back to you. And then he said this. He said that he would send the spirit of truth. You see, Jesus came back to the church after his death, resurrection, and ascension in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we sometimes think how great it would have been to be there with Jesus, and it probably would have been amazing. But... All of us couldn't have had the kind of attention from him that we long for because there's too many of us. So Jesus says, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to come back to you, but not like this. Because in that state, he was limited, right? He was in a physical body. I'm going to come back to you through the person of the spirit. 
and whoever you are and wherever you are and however many of you there are won't matter. Each and every person will have that intimate connection with me through the Spirit. So Jesus actually said when they were lamenting his departure, he said, it's better. You guys don't understand it, but it's better that I go away. If I don't go, the Spirit won't come. But when the Spirit comes, it's going to be a better situation. But again, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we feel like it's a better situation? And I think that a lot of the time we don't. And we don't because we're not engaging with and connecting with the Holy Spirit in the way that he wants to engage us and in the way that he wants to connect with us and in the way that he wants to work in us and in the way that he wants to work through us. Now, what I'm saying is that what Jesus was to the first generation of believers, the apostles and those early believers during his three-year ministry, what Jesus was to them, the Holy Spirit is to us throughout church history. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Christ. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. I already referenced Paul's statement to the Romans. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The Spirit of Christ. In Luke chapter 16, Luke refers to the Spirit of Jesus. He's talking about being forbidden by the Spirit to go in a certain direction. He says, the Spirit of Jesus forbid us to go. And then Peter also speaks of the Spirit of Christ. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets when they prophesied through the Spirit of Christ who was upon them. So, you see, it's through the Holy Spirit that we have the experience with Jesus that we long to have. Now, a lot of people in the church today are quite honestly afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit freaks people out. And it didn't necessarily help that the old translation referred to him as the Holy Ghost. They're like, whoa, the ghost. I mean, that sounds kind of scary. But not only the reference to the Holy Ghost, but also a lot of Christian people, well-meaning people, but misguided people, have done a lot of crazy things claiming to be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit throughout the history of the church. And that isn't just a new thing that happens among wild, charismatic people. This has happened over and over again in church history where people move away from the foundation of the scripture and they start getting into more of an emotional thing and and they start thinking that, well, the Holy Spirit is doing this and the Holy Spirit's doing that. And, And actually, no, the Holy Spirit's not doing that because the Holy Spirit doesn't do, he doesn't do weird things in the in a negative sense. He does do weird things because you know, healings and resurrections and prophecies and tongues. I mean, those those are kind of weird things, right? They're extraordinary. That's not the normal experience as we go through this life and world. So on the one hand, he does weird things, but he does good weird things, not bad weird things. But there has been this fear. And in the church, 
especially in the last 100 plus years, there's been sort of these two positions. There's that position of people who just do crazy things and say the Holy Spirit, he's the one who's leading me to do this. But then there's another group that says the Holy Spirit, like we read about him in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts and all those miracles and those things in 1 Corinthians about tongues and prophecy, that stuff all ceased when the apostles died. It died with the apostles. It was important, like I said in the beginning, it was important to get things started, but we don't need it now. We've got the Bible, and since we have the Bible, we don't need that stuff anymore. So you've got these two positions that are quite often held by many Christians, one one side or the other. So one neglects the spirit because... They don't want any of that weirdness, so they've just theologically decided the Spirit doesn't do stuff like that anymore, and we don't have to think about it or worry about it or be bothered by it. Then this other group says, oh man, you guys are so, you're just stuck with your Bible and you're missing out, and God's doing all kinds of things, and they're doing really crazy stuff and saying, see, look, God is working. And those are two extremes that we must avoid. We must avoid that. Here's what we need to do. We need to take our understanding of what the Spirit of God does first and foremost from the Scriptures. And I think the best place to really discover that is the book of Acts. So here's a challenge I want to give to every one of you. We're going to go through the series over the next, like I said, maybe six weeks on the gifts and ministry of the Spirit and so forth. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to read the book of Acts alongside this series that we're teaching. Because as we teach, the book of Acts is going to give you the picture of what these things look like. If you read Acts alongside of this teaching, you're going to get a picture of this is what God is desiring in the church. God wants us to be experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. God wants us to be familiar with prophecy. God wants to do healing works among us. God wants us to experience the gift of tongues. God wants us to expect him to direct us and guide us and show us things that we don't know. That's how he wants us living. Jesus, when he was here, remember the apostles and his disciples, they had access to him. They went to him. They had questions for him. And what did he do? He responded. Now, Jesus is not here in that sense, is he? But guess what? The spirit of Christ is with us. We all should be able to say these words. The Lord spoke to me and said. Every one of us should be able to say that. Because guess what? That's what God does. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. And this is the foundation. And this is the guideline. And this is where we test everything else. He speaks to us through his word. But he also, he speaks to us in our hearts. He puts a thought in our minds. 
He has a person say something that is actually him speaking to us through that person. And it's a preacher sometimes. I know some of you, and I've had this experience. Some of you have come here and you have sat and you have got up and said, wow, God really spoke to me. And it happens through a preacher, but sometimes it just happens through a friend in a conversation. Sometimes somebody comes up and says, hey, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you this. I don't know why. And they tell you and you're like, wow, that was God. And sometimes they don't even preface it with that because they don't even know that they're prophesying. They just say something and the Lord speaks to you through it. And so finally, let's receive him in all his fullness. I don't want to just go through an exercise over the next six weeks of imparting information. Information is important, especially biblical information. But we must take this and we must make it our own experience. And let me say this finally. We can quench the spirit. The spirit wants to move. The spirit wants to speak. We can quench the spirit. Paul said that to the Thessalonians. He said, do not quench the spirit. But right in that context, he said this. He said, do not despise prophecy. And he's telling us something there. He's saying to despise, to disdain, to neglect, to stay away from these things, that quenches the spirit. When I say, oh, I don't don't want any of that. That's too weird. That quenches the spirit. We don't want to quench the spirit. We don't want to throw water on the spirit. We want to throw logs on the fire. We want the fire to be stoked, the fire of the spirit. So we open up our hearts and say, Lord, even though this is strange, even though this is embarrassing maybe, even though this is humiliating, Lord, I I just want you to work. And and let me just tell you this from my own experience. As, As you begin to step out in the spirit and begin to experience the work of the spirit, there will be moments when you will, because of your pride or because of the uncomfortableness of the situation or whatever it is, there are things you just won't want to do. You just think, oh gosh, this just seems like it's going to be so weird. And yet the Lord's saying, just trust me, don't worry about it. But if you say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. That's going to be too weird. That's quenching the spirit. So you miss an opportunity. But if you just yield to it and say, okay, Lord, here I go. I'm going to trust you. Then the blessing comes from that. So we don't want to quench the spirit. But then finally, it's also possible to grieve the spirit. And to grieve means to sadden. And when you sadden the spirit and the context of saddening the spirit is sin, when we live in open sin, that grieves the spirit. And obviously that's going to hinder the spirit from doing the things he wants to do in and through us. So finally, let's receive him in all his fullness. And as we finish here today, take this moment to say, Lord, I want the fullness of your spirit at work in my life. I want to be 
and do all that you want me to be and do. And that is directly related to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights when we welcome back Pastor Char Broderson as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.